I'd work night and day. His voice was charged with excitement. I'll bring you back more diamonds than you can count. Vandermeer silently studied him for what seemed to Jamie to be an eternity. When Vandermeer finally spoke, he said only one word. Yeah. Jamie signed the contract the next morning. It was written in Afrikaans. I'll have to explain it to you, Vandermeer said. It says we're full partners. I put up the capital, you put up the labor, we share everything equally. The man was being more than fair. Oh, thank you, thank you very much, sir. Oh, Jamie could have hugged him. Vandermeer said, now, let's get you outfitted. When Jamie McGregor stepped back out onto the streets of Clipdrift, he was no longer a tourist. He was a prospector. It was December, summer in South Africa, and the trek across the veld under the huge orange sun was a horror. It took him almost two weeks to cross the Karoo. More than once he was ready to give up. His fair skin was burned raw and he was constantly dizzy. He had no recollection of how many times he fell onto the sand and staggered to his feet again. When Jamie McGregor stumbled into the village of Magadam, the sunburn had long since become infected and his body oozed blood and sera. As he passed a saloon, he heard a roar from inside and entered. The diggers all told the same story of months doing the same back-breaking work of moving boulders, digging into the hard soil, and squatting over the riverbanks, sifting the dirt for diamonds. Each day, a few diamonds were found, not enough to make a man rich, but enough to keep his dreams alive. After a night of sleepless self-debate, Jamie decided he would forget Vandermeer's map. Against everyone's advice, he decided to head east, along the Mudder River. He walked for three days and two nights, and when he came to a likely-looking spot, he set up his small tent. He dug from dawn until dust without finding a single stone. At the end of the second week, he moved upstream just north of a small settlement called Pardspan. He had not seen a human being in two weeks, and an eddy of loneliness washed over him. What the hell am I doing here, he wondered. Come Saturday, if I don't find a diamond, I'm going home. Jamie sat there, idly sifting the sand through his fingers. They closed on a large stone, and he looked at it for a moment. It looked like a diamond. The only thing that made Jamie doubt his senses was the size of it. It was almost as large as a hen's egg. Oh, God. If it is a diamond. He suddenly had difficulty breathing. He grabbed his lantern and began searching the ground around him. In 15 minutes he had found four more like it. He spent the next week feverishly digging up diamonds and burying them at night in a safe place where no passerby could find them. And at the end of the week, Jamie made a note on his map and staked out his claim by carefully marking the boundaries with his pick. He dug up his hidden treasure, carefully stored it deep down in his backpack, and headed back to Magadam. The sign outside the small building read, Diamond Cooper. Jamie walked into the office, a small, airless room, and he, he was filled with a sudden sense of trepidation. Under the watchful eye of the assayer, Jamie started laying the stones out on his desk. When he was finished... There was a total of 27, 
and the assayer was gazing at them in astonishment. The assayer picked up the larger stone and examined it with a jeweler's loop. My God, he said, this is the biggest diamond I've ever seen. Jamie had walked through that door, a penniless farm boy, and walked out a multi-millionaire. Clip drift had not changed, but Jamie McGregor had. People stared at him as he rode into town and stopped in front of Vandermeer's general store. Well, I hear there's good news, Vandermeer beamed. That's right, sir. Proudly, Jamie took the large leather pouch from his jacket pocket and poured the diamonds onto the kitchen table. Vandermeer stared at them, hypnotized. When he spoke, there was a note of deep satisfaction in his voice. You've done well, Mr. McGregor. Very well indeed. And you've staked out the claim properly? Well, yes, sir. Jamie reached in his pocket and pulled out the registration slip. It's registered in both our names. Vandermeer studied the slip, then put it in his pocket. You deserve a bonus. Jamie laughed. <laughs> I don't need a bonus. I have my share of the diamonds, my 50%. We're partners. Vandermeer was staring at him. Partners? Where did you get that idea? Jamie looked at the Dutchman in bewilderment. We have a contract. The older man shook his head. Oh, no, you, you, you misunderstood me, Mr. McGregor. I, I don't need any partners. You were working for me. I outfitted you and sent you to find the diamonds for me. Jamie could feel a slow rage boiling up within him. Vandermeer smiled thinly. He shoved money into Jamie's hand. Now, you take your wages and get out. In a second, Jamie was towering over Vandermeer. He pulled the thin figure into the air and he held him up to eye level. Now, I'm going to make you sorry you ever laid eyes on me. And he dropped Vandermeer to his feet, flung the money on the table, and he stormed out. Before he could leave town that night, Jamie was brutally beaten and left for dead. Banda hurried east toward the outskirts of town, the district allotted to the black, and entered a wooden shack. He looked down at the figure lying on the cot. Six weeks earlier, Jamie McGregor had regained consciousness and found himself on a cot in a strange house. Banda told him he had brought him to Cape Town. Jamie stared into the black eyes for a long moment before he spoke. Why? I need you. I want vengeance. Vander moved closer. Not for me. Vandermeer raped my sister. She died giving birth to his baby. My sister was 11 years old. Since the day she died, I have been looking for a white man to help me. I found him that night when I helped beat you up, Mr. McGregor. I told the others you were dead, and I returned to get you as soon as I could. Vander wanted to get at Vandermeer through him, Jamie thought. Well, that can work both ways. From the outside, Jamie was a total stranger. His hair had turned snow white. He had a full, unkempt white beard. His nose had been broken, and a ridge of bone pushed it to one side. His face had aged twenty years. Jamie, too, wanted revenge. When did you first meet Vandermeer? Jamie asked. When I was working at the Diamond Beach on the Nabib Desert, 
He owned the beach with two partners. It was an easy job. We'd crawl along the beach picking up diamonds and putting them in little jam tins. Uh, wait a minute. You were saying that the diamonds are just lying there on top of the sand? That's what I'm saying, Mr. McGregor. But forget what you're thinking. Nobody can get near that field. It's on the ocean, and the waves are up to 30 feet high. At the entrance is a guard tower and a barbed wire fence. Nevertheless, Jamie was unable to sleep that night. He kept visualizing 35 miles of sand sprinkled with enormous diamonds belonging to Vandermeer. The next day, Jamie took a deep breath and asked, Did anyone ever try to get in there by raft? Banda was staring at him. Now, when I think about it, no one ever made it to the shore because the bottoms of their boats were torn by the reefs. But a raft, he, he will glide right in over those reefs and onto the shore. And it can get out the same way. Under Jamie's persuasive arguments, Banda's doubts began to melt. The following week, they boarded a wagon to Port Nolloth, the coastal village 40 miles south of the forbidden area where they were headed. And that afternoon, they came across an old, abandoned warehouse in which to build their raft. That night, Jamie and Banda went to work. They stole four empty oil barrels and placed four empty crates over them. There was not planking available, so they covered the top layer with whatever was at hand, branches from the stinkwood tree, limbs from the Cape Beach, large leaves from the marula. They made a mast from a fally yellowwood tree and picked up two flat branches for paddles. By 2 a.m., the raft was out of the warehouse and into the shallow water. It was like riding a bobbing cork, but...